the last month, I've been in a series that I conclude today called A Greater Cause. How are we to live? What do we look for? Something that's beyond ourselves. And today, the title of this message is Who Are You? And I I don't want to take a lot of time. It'll be brief today because I want to give you plenty of time that when you leave here to be able to go to our other building and... uh, have a chance to wander through. We have people over there setting things up right now and getting, getting ready for you. But one of the greatest honors that we have and probably what most people would describe as some of the greatest friendships that we develop, we develop in serving together. In fact, there have been missions trips and teams that I've led that I have lifelong friendships as a result of, of serving together on some of those. And, and uh, we're grateful for the fact that in our ministry teams, you, you see this worship team and you have no idea the hours they have spent in practice on Thursdays and Sunday mornings and the, and the fellowship and the friendship that they develop. And it's like that with, our, with so many of our different teams. But for those of you that are saying, man, I would love to serve, but I'm just lonely, then this is an opportunity for you to begin to be plugged into that. And there are a lot of options, and and I'm certain that one of the options that we have will be right for you. But our goal is that 100% of the people that call Grace Home finds a place where they can serve our church and our body and our community uh, in some of the options that we have available. Over the last month, we have discovered that when you serve, the more you serve, the less South, and they were sharing with me on the phone the fact that they had been having a difficult time trying to find a church uh, and, and shared with me that they were trying to compare it to what grace was like and that they hadn't been able to find anything there. And, and I began to ask them some questions as to the qualities that they were looking for and, and they were just expressing themselves there. And at the end of that conversation, the young lady said to me, she says, you know what I miss the most? And I was expecting this great answer. And she said, at the end of the second service when we were walking out, she goes, you and your wife always park across the street. And she says, we, we smile because you're always holding hands. You're always holding hands. And I thought, I'm so glad that that's when she was observing me. <laughs> that raises the question that I want to pose to you today, and that is this. If somebody were to describe you and the word always, what are you always doing? What would they say? Well, he is always doing this or she is always doing that. What would others say you are always doing? Might they say that you are always encouraging or would they say that you're always griping? Would they say that, you know, you always find fault or would they say that you're always looking for the positive in everything? Would they say that you're always working? Or maybe you're always working out? Or maybe they would look at you and say, you know what, they are always sharing their faith. Or if you're a teenager, it might be that you're always looking at your phone, and I see you from here, by the way. I just (laughs) wanted you to know that. Maybe they're always looking for likes on Facebook. Maybe they're known because they're always taking selfies. What would others say that you are always doing? We have repeated throughout this series over the last month that we live in a culture that is very self-centered, self-gratifying, and self-promoting. In fact, I looked up under Google self-promotion this week, and, and here are the first three things that came up. 
There was an article on savvy self-promotion in the Harvard Business Review that you could read. Then there was one called the Center for Creative Leaderships that said this, provided you the complete guide and skill to self-promotion at work. Did you know that self-promotion is a skill? Apparently it is. And then there was this one, a seven-minute 13-second video example of how you can turn the spotlight on yourself in every situation. Seven and a half minutes on how you can turn the spotlight on yourself in every situation. Today, teenagers were asked in junior high and high school if they could be anything they wanted, what would it be? 54% of them responded that they want to be a celebrity or a social media influencer. In other words, the majority of the students that are growing up today of our younger generation want everybody to know just how great they are, just how great I am. So what do you want to be? Well, some of us just want to be the GOAT. I want to be the GOAT. Now, how many of you know what the GOAT means? Let me see your hands. There are a lot of hands that are up and there are a lot of hands that aren't. So for those of you that are raising your hand, that either means that you have teenagers or you're still cool. Because GOAT means greatest of all time. I just want to be the greatest of all time. We live in a culture that is telling us, I just want to be the best that there is, the greatest. Let everybody recognize just how great I am. The problem with that is that if you want to follow Jesus, Jesus' teaching is diametrically opposed to a self-promoting culture. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 16. In verses 24 through 25, it states this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for me will find it. This is the opposite of self-promotion. This is dying to yourself, making little of yourself. That is, if you don't matter for the cause of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, if you want to be great, don't promote yourself. Humble yourself. In Matthew 23, 11 and 12, Jesus said this, the greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. In other words, he invites us to take on the nature of a servant. In other words, serving isn't something we just do. Serving is who we are. It reflects who we are. We are called at our core to be servants. So I'd like you to repeat after me. I am a servant of the Most High God. When I serve others, I am serving Christ. Now that you know the words, we're going to do it one more time, and I'd like to hear a little heart with this today. I am a servant of the Most High God. When I serve others, I am serving Christ. What are you always doing? In Acts chapter 9, in verse 36, there's this 
description passage that's given to us, and it says that in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated in Greek is Dorcas. Who names your daughter Dorcas? I, I, I don't get that. By the way, it means gazelle, so maybe she was a track star. I lost my place. <laughs> and she was always doing good, and she was always helping the poor. In fact, she is the first Gentile female that is listed in the New Testament. What she did was make clothing and give it to the poor people and give it to those that need it. In fact, she was so important in the community that when she died, they asked Peter to come back and pray for her to be raised from the dead. So important was her ministry in that community. Her ministry was evidently, everybody that knew her would look at her and say, we know what she always does. She's always serving the poor. She's always making clothes. And so we as followers of Jesus Christ, the faithful servants, are we? There are tons of things that when we talk about service to the Lord that enter our mind, and most of them start with this. Well, Lord, you know I'm not very good at that. Or, Lord, there's a list of things that may be out there that I, would, I, I don't want to do. Or, Lord, if you'll just let me, I can organize other people because I can pick out everybody who's really good at things and I can put them in the right spot. But don't ask me to do anything. And I want to make it really, really, really simple for you this morning. I want to give you three images from scriptures that are tied to three very simple stories that I hope will be memorable and inspire you to serve because of who you are in Christ Jesus. So how can I become a faithful servant? Three things. Bring a lunch, offer a ride, carry a towel. Bring a lunch, offer a ride, carry a towel. Bring a lunch. There's a story that's told in the Old Testament about King David. Now David was a war hero and he rose to notoriety because he, he killed the giant named Goliath and he did it with a sling and some stones and it was told that later on that as he would come back from battle that he was so admired by the women that they would line the road when he's coming back from battle and they would, they would sing songs to each other and, and cheer him on and you can hear him just singing about his greatness. Oh, here's David, he's our, he's our hero. He, he's killed thousands of enemies. He keeps us safe, yay, David. Now, I have this image as I was reading that of what it would be like on a Sunday afternoon to come home and have Cindy in the driveway. <laughs> Don't laugh yet. Maybe it's been a particular tough day to preach. You know, we've been slaying demons, you know, and just to come home from church and have her get out of her car in the driveway and going, yay, my Douglas. <laughs> That's not polite. And, and and she's just cheering and, and singing about the greatness of her husband. And I, we can dream. And I have this image in my mind. Do you see how easy it is to slip into pride? I mean, it's right there when we let our minds go there. And it raises the question, why was David so great? A lot of people would say he was great because he won the battles. But I would tell you he was great because he started by bringing a lunch. He started by being a servant. 
When you look at the entirety of David's life, whether he was playing a harp for Saul or whether he was doing the right things behind the scenes, he was a man that was promoted in the kingdom because he had the heart of a servant. He was the youngest of eight brothers. How many of you have a lot of kids in your family and how many of you are the youngest of multiple kids? There's a few of you, God bless you. I understand it's hard to be proud when you're the youngest in a family. He was the youngest of eight brothers and his brothers were preparing to fight. I say preparing because they lined up every day as if they were gonna do something and then ran in fear back to the camp. But they were out there supposedly to fight and the father said, listen, I need to find out how the boys are doing and so it tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 17 and 18 and 20, now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread to your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of the unit. See how your brothers are doing and bring back some assurance from them. And then it says in verse 20, early in the morning, David left the flocks with a shepherd, loaded up, and he set out as Jesse had directed. Hey, David, one day you want to fight in a battle? First, you have to bring the lunch. First, you have to be willing to do what may seem insignificant. It isn't often visible by others. Sometimes it's behind the scenes, but the way that you are promoted in the kingdom of God is never by self-promotion. It's always by serving. And if you want to be great, you will serve. And one of the ways that you can serve is simply by bringing a lunch. You can also offer a ride. There's an Old Testament prophecy that was 553 years before the event ever took place. Imagine this, Zechariah the prophet prophesied that one day a king would come and that this king would come riding on a donkey. And this prophecy would have blown people's minds because if a king was coming, you would expect it to be different. You would expect if a king was coming that they would arrive in a stretch limo that was well washed and polished and that there would be people that would jump out of the car dressed in black suits and ties with sunglasses and earpieces and they would open the door and allow the king to walk on red carpet. That's what you expect when we're talking about the arrival of a king, or maybe in that day, since they didn't have stretch limos, you would at least expect the king to be riding on a gallant white horse with a gleaming crown on his head, thousands of people cheering, people weeping just to get a glimpse. And here we are told in the scripture that he was riding on a donkey, which would be the equivalent today of a king arriving in town on a moped. Not exactly what we would think. And Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going to need to secure a donkey. A 553-year-old prophetic event is about to come down. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, verses 30 through 31, go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you why you are untying him, tell them the Lord needs it. And that is just what happened. How can you be a faithful servant? Just give somebody a ride. This is exactly what the businessman in this New Testament story did. And what I love about this story is we don't know his name. We don't know what he did for a living. We don't know whether he owned 10 donkeys or 500 donkeys. We can assume that he owned a business because it would have taken a businessman to be able to afford a donkey at that time. And all the guy does is simply say yes. When he was asked, he said, you can take what I have. I offer it as a ride. I want you to notice what the guy didn't do. 
When they went for the donkey that had never been ridden, the guy, when he was approached, did not say, oh, 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 I didn't know that you were asking for my newest and most low mileage donkey when you came here, or I want you to know that this isn't Eeyore we're talking about. This is my high-end donkey. In fact, it has the upgraded hooves package. It's the best donkey that I've got for donkey leather seating. In fact, if you sit on it for a minute, you're going to notice that the radiated heat of the animal is a seat heater for you. And normally, I would have to charge you a little bit more for all of these upgrades, but, you know, we'll just... He didn't say any of that. He simply said, the Lord has need of it. I'm willing to offer what I have because I'm a servant of the Most High God. So you can make a difference as a servant by bringing a lunch or you can offer a ride, or thirdly, you can carry a towel. In fact, to me, this story, this account of Jesus is perhaps one of the most powerful pictures of servanthood that there is in Scripture. The setting is this. It's the Thursday night before Passover, and there's a secret meeting that is going on in the upper room, and Jesus is seated there with his disciples, and Jesus knows what's about to come down. And so his mind is churning through all of the things that are about to happen. The very reason that he had come to earth is about to come to pass. He knows that within hours he's going to be going through terrible pain and suffering, and that is awaiting him. I don't know about you, but I don't communicate well in a group if I know something is coming. It affects the way I communicate. It affects the way my face would, would demonstrate some of the things that I'm not looking forward to. And as the anguish of this moment weighs upon the mind of Jesus, the scripture says an argument breaks out among the disciples. And guess what they are arguing about? In verse 24 of Luke 22, it says this. Also, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Who's the goat in this room? In the middle of the Last Supper, after Jesus had just told them, it will never be like this again until the kingdom of God comes after he had just explained to them what the symbolic was, symbolic was of the bread and the wine, that it was his broken body and the new covenant in his blood, the thing that they were most concerned about is which one of us is the goat? Which one of us that's sitting here with you right now is the greatest of all time? Now, because I picture things in stories, I begin to wonder what that scene might have looked like. I can picture John, first of all, speaking up, and he would say, listen, it should be obvious to all of you sitting around this table that I am the one who Jesus loves. I'm the goat. I'm the greatest because I'm always referred to as the one that Jesus loves. In fact, as I thought about that, do you know how annoying John must have been? John wrote about himself in the second person and called himself the one that Jesus loved. The one that Jesus loved, writing about himself. In fact, he does this so many times, he constantly refers to himself as the one who Jesus loved. He either says that or a variation of that six times in the book that he wrote. Now, my dad calls me his number one son. 
He'll say that right in front of my siblings. It doesn't offend them because I'm the only boy in the family. But it is both accurate and non-offensive at the same time. But John's attitude as being the one that Jesus loved had to rub Peter the wrong way. I would have loved to have been in that room when John's saying, you know, I am the one. I mean, it's like the others didn't even exist. I am the one that Jesus loved. And Peter's response to John had to be, shut up. No, you're not. No, 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 no. You cannot assume that. You cannot take that position because I am the rock. Did you forget that he gave me that name? In fact, he's talked about everything that may be built, may be built upon me. And remember, John, when we were in the boat and Jesus shows up walking on the water, while you're sitting back there shivering, hanging on to your I'm the one that Jesus loves t-shirt, I'm the one that got out of the boat and I walked to Jesus on the water. No doubt, I am the goat. And the other disciples are going, excuse me, can we just refresh your memory? You took three steps and sank like a rock. To which Peter said, but Jesus saved me, grabbed me, and brought me back because I am his favorite. And then there's Bartholomew. He stands up and he says, yeah, but what about me? I am the greatest. And suddenly all the conversation stops. And they look over at Bartholomew and say, people don't even know you're a disciple, Bartholomew. To which he says, I'm sorry. And he sits down. And these mighty men of God are arguing about who is the goat, who is the greatest of all time. And Jesus, in the agony of that moment, sitting around that table, knowing that he came not to be served but to serve others, looks around at the discussion, and what he sees is proud hearts and dirty feet. Proud hearts and dirty feet. So it tells us in John 13 that Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. If you would have been there at that moment, this would have been the most scandalous thing that Jesus could possibly have done. It was as selfless an act as could have been described. Jesus humbled them and taught them all at the same time. And in a day when everybody is walking around, their feet had to be the dirtiest, stinkiest thing on their whole body. It was a job that you gave to the lowliest of the low. Jesus took off his outer clothing and put on a servant's apron. And as they're yelling about who's the greatest, he kneels down in front of them and shuts them up as he washes their feet. Now let me remind you something. Who is this Jesus that is kneeling before them? 
He is the Son of God. He's the bread of life. He's the Prince of Peace, the living water, the great high priest, the light of the world, the Lamb of God. He's the righteous judge. He's the living stone. He's the true vine. He's the King of glory. He is the chosen one. He's the King of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He is the beginning. He is the end. He's our Redeemer. He's our righteousness. He's our sanctification. And He is our Savior and our Lord. And He knelt down in front of proud hearts and dirty feet and taught them what it means to serve because Jesus knew that the greatest among you is never a self-promoter but he's always a servant so how do you become great you bring a lunch you offer a ride you carry a towel because serving is not just something we do a servant is who we are I am a servant of the Most High God, and when I serve others, I am serving Jesus. Now let me wrap this up into one very poignant passage of Scripture. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus explained that in the last day, all of the peoples of the world will be standing before him, and he's going to begin to divide them up. And he says... To the right, I want all of my sheep. To the left, I'm going to put all the goats. All of you who thought you were the greatest of all time. All of you self-promoters. All of you who had to have a name. And it tells us in Matthew 25, verses 34 through 40, he's going to tell the ones on the left, sorry, you must depart from me because I never knew you. You never had anything in common with my heart. And then he goes on to say, then the king will say to those on his right, worship team, please come. Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when? Did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. That's my heart, the heart of service. I've done a lot of funerals, and at that time I have used this line so many different times that every one of us, when we stand before God at the end of this life, we want to hear these words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He's not looking for goats. He's not looking for the greatest of all time. He's looking for those who will display his heart. And I would suggest to you that if this is your home church, that you find a consistent place to serve because you have the heart of God within you. And one day, when somebody asks about you and says, what are they always doing? The only answer that everybody will be able to give will be, they are always serving. So who are you? Stand with me, please, as we sing.
Father, as we stand in your presence today, we've been poignantly reminded in your word today that when you gave your life for us and we received you as our Savior, that you made us into a brand new creation. And there may be people here today that have not yet had that experience, or maybe there are those that are watching online that have never experienced being made brand new because they've received you. And I pray that right now would be their moment, that simply with their invitation, they would invite you into their life. You would forgive them of their sin and that you would make them a brand new creature. And within that renewing process, you transplant within us a heart to serve other people because that's the way you demonstrated to us what life is. And so, Lord, as we come to the end of this service today, I pray that what we've discussed over these last four weeks of being in your presence and how we respond to that would come alive in us so that we can serve our community, our nation, and our world well and reflect your heart and your nature. Lord, we live in the middle of such a self-promoting world, teaching us how we can turn the spotlight on ourselves all the time, and yet you said, those that are seeking to be the greatest of all time are going to be separated out from my sheep. My sheep know my voice, they know my heart, and they follow me. And so Lord, in this reminder today, would you speak to us so that we can find a place where we can consistently serve and demonstrate the heart of service. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask our altar workers if they would make their way to the front, and then I'm gonna conclude. And what I'm going to ask you to do, I told the people in the first service they could go out to breakfast, so they're going to smell like syrup when they come over there this afternoon. You guys are going to have to go with growling stomachs. But we have a, a place with all the ministries that we have that's represented over in the lower level of 2515 West Genesee Street in the building over there, and we want to invite you to come through. And I recognize that uh, many of you may not have seen that building, and we want you to take a look at it before we begin to start remodeling it. But for those of you that don't know, it's going to become our new home. And we're working through those things now. And we want you to get, a, it's got a bigger parking lot. 
you're going to love that. But we want to invite you to go. And so for those of you that are parents, you may need to slip out and grab your kids so that you can make your way over that, over there to, to see that. And for those of you that would like somebody to pray with them, feel free to come and, and they will join you in prayer here. So Father, I pray your blessing upon us as we get to celebrate not only what you're doing and leading us to a new place, but also, Lord, that you would allow 100% of us to find a place where we can serve so that we can glorify your name because we are servants of the Most High God. That's who we are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.